Praise the Lord, everybody. Oh, you know, when I say that, I'm going to ask again. When it's so quiet, it shouldn't be this quiet in a Pentecostal church. Praise the Lord, everybody. If you haven't said hello to the person next to you, say hello for a minute there. Give them a high five or a fist bump. It is good to see everyone here tonight. We are privileged to be in the house of God. Amen. Amen. I only have a few short announcements for you. Please remember on July 28th is the last day for our mother's memorial offering. And July 25th, we have a blood drive. We've done that very frequently here at Grace, and it is a great outreach for the community. So we're going to have a blood drive. Please uh, use the sign-up sheet in Grand Central to schedule um, your time in the bus. Um, you know, there was some, before I turned it over to Pastor, there was something that I was thinking of, you know, we try to come up with something or we try to think or open ourselves to the Lord prior to each service so we can tell you something before we transition. There was one word that came to my mind today as, as I was driving into church and actually for several hours prior to church, and that was the word privilege. Privilege. I said just a few minutes ago, a few seconds ago, that, that we're privileged to be in the presence of God. We're privileged to, to know the Lord. Do you, can, I, can you just raise your hand if you feel that if you feel that you are privileged to know to know God. And I, I do as well, and I think that's an adequate and appropriate concept. But there's a problem sometimes, especially in our society, privilege, there are several negative connotations to the word privilege. And a person with unbridled sense of privilege can be somewhat arrogant or entitled. They can feel that, that they have a certain sense of exclusivity in their position. And as I was thinking about that, a certain scripture came to mind. It's in Colossians chapter 2. It says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. And to me, that's a profound scripture, especially associated with the concept of privilege. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. When I received Christ Jesus as Lord, whenever I stepped into relationship with God, whenever I went through the new birth experience, I did not do it from a place of privilege, Brother Don. I stepped into relationship with God from a place of a sinner. I could not be arrogant. There was a sense of humility whenever I came to an altar and was crying and was repenting. And the scripture says that that attitude, young ladies and gentlemen, is the one that you should retain in relationship with God. Yes, we enjoy the positions of privilege. We are privileged to be in relationship with God. But you need to remember where you came from. And I believe that if we can do that, if we can retain that humility, then our worship will be transformed, our attitude with, toward church will be transformed, our walk with God can be transformed. Just something for you to think about. I'm going to invite our pastor to the platform or to the pulpit this, uh, this evening. God bless you. Thank you, Brother Ben. Great to see everybody tonight. You glad to be here? I'm glad to be here, as always, glad to be here at Grace Church. And uh, we welcome all of you here tonight. And uh, there's a couple of things that I want to, to mention before we <clears throat> go to the Word of God tonight, um, we're going to have a, a time of prayer here in just a moment, uh, very 
needful prayer. Uh, not that any prayers are not needed, but these are going to be prayers with emphasis. But uh, I am ha very happy to announce that our Move the Mission fundraiser uh, this past Sunday, uh, we were able to raise a little over $1,000 for Move the Mission, formerly She's for Christ. So thank all of you. We thank all of you who participated in that, certainly those who worked. Had a wonderful showing of our young folks uh, in the kitchen. That was refreshing. Now, how much good they were doing, uh, I haven't heard. I'm, I'm getting some thumbs up that they did okay. So, uh, so that's a good thing. But we're very excited about that and thank all of you so very much for uh, participating in that and making all of that possible. And with its, it's a wonderful, wonderful delight to welcome Daniel loves mom and dad here tonight. They've moved here from Arkansas. But I have a, a something I'm, real, I'm not real secure with, and I probably shouldn't do this over the pulpit, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. He said you go by Eddie. Is that correct? Okay. I didn't totally trust that he was serious when he said that the other night. He just had this expression that says, I have an opportunity for the pastor to make a big fool out of himself, so I'm going to take advantage of it. <laughs> I'm kidding. But uh, Brother Eddie and Sister Paula, great to have y'all here. Moved here from Arkansas, and we welcome you to Grace Church. Let's welcome these folks, shall we? I'm glad y'all are here. Amen. Thank the Lord. So whatever he tells you his name is, just remember, he goes by Eddie. And if Daniel says anything about it, Weigh that out a little bit before you run around saying anything. So, anyway, we're glad y'all are here. Seriously, very glad, thankful, very thankful y'all are here. And I know that uh, Daniel and Dara are glad y'all are here, and certainly their children. That's got to be just a wonderful thing to have grandparents here. I watched one of them come in and just slap him in the back, just, and just boom shook his whole head backwards and everything, but that was his way of saying, Paul, Paul, I'm glad you're here, whatever they call you about. And uh, I'm very excited, very excited to have y'all here tonight. God bless y'all so very, very much. Uh, have an announcement. You'll be hearing more about this, Lord willing, in the very near future. But um, we have some interest in uh, starting up Kids Church on Wednesday night again. We just need for somebody to step up to the plate and say, I would like to uh, be involved in that. We need at least two res very responsible adults. And if we can get that, we can rotate our JV team in and out on Wednesday night uh, to help with that. So um, if we could get some folks to step up, you need to be a member of Grace Church. You need to go through the leadership class. And uh, if you haven't done that, and um, agree to the leadership class. So... Um, We'd like to start that up here in the next month or so, so help us pray about it. And uh, we want all of our Sunday school teachers to put your fingers in your ear and not listen to that announcement. We need y'all in Sunday school not doing kids' church on Wednesday night. And uh, so we appreciate that very, very much. So if you'll stand with me tonight, <clears throat> we would like to go to the Lord in prayer and um, come to you tonight with some just some, some things that, that, that people need a touch from God. Uh, I, 
know it's been a custom in years past. If you have a need from the Lord, raise your hand. I, I respect that. But sometimes you just have things that just really need some focus, fervent, passionate prayer, and these things certainly qualify for that. I'd like for us to remember the Darren Taylor family tonight, Darren and Natalie and their girls, if we could pray for them tonight. Also, Michelle Grone needs prayer tonight. And, uh, and I would like for us to have prayer for a family tonight that is going through, I suppose, one of the most challenging things on this planet that someone can go through as a family. I don't know these folks, and I don't have to know them to feel to some degree the absolute despair that they must be experiencing. If I'm pronouncing their name correctly, it's the Gamino family. Um, they lost their 13-year-old son in an accident this past Saturday. He is the oldest of three kids. They have two daughters, and uh, his funeral will be this coming Saturday. I don't know how many of you have kids in that age group, but if you could just somehow put yourself in that place for a few minutes when you pray. How would you want people to pray for you if you were experiencing and having to go through such a terrible, terrible tragedy? Uh, he was a friend to Ella Tear and also to uh, Elena, and I want us to pray for them. Uh, they went to school with this young man and know him. I do want to mention that... Uh, I understand that Elena and Laney Taylor was wanting to do a Bible study at school last year when COVID broke out and shut school down. And I've pondered several times today if this fellow would have been a part of that Bible study class. So we need to pray. I don't want to be negative. I want us to have faith and confidence. God is not at a loss with anything we mentioned here tonight. He knows exactly what to do, how to do it, and when to do it. I'd also like to pray for Sister Sandra Taylor. Um, this is Darren, Ryan, and Kelly's mom. Um, she needs prayer tonight. She is probably the most faithful person to Grace Church. She follows every single service on live stream and has for several years. And uh, very, very committed uh, to that. We visited with her a week or so ago. And when I walked into their house, I literally felt like I was walking into a church. That's just how I know her. That she is so faithful on Sunday and Wednesday. Watches faithfully. Is not really able to, to get out much. And we need to pray for her tonight. So if you would, would you gather your thoughts, your faith tonight? Let's stand and lean on the word of God. And let's take these knees to the Lord tonight, shall we? Jesus, we love you tonight. We're thankful for this moment of privilege, this moment of privilege to be able to stand before the throne of grace and to request your assistance, your healing power, the touch of your hand, the comfort of your spirit. I pray, God, tonight for these people. I pray, God, tonight for all of these people that we've mentioned for the Taylors, for that family, uh, for Darren and Natalie, for Sister Sandra. We pray tonight for Michelle. Uh, we pray tonight for <clears throat> the Gamino family. Um, 
God, you know what these needs are. You know where they are. You know what they're feeling. You know what tomorrow holds. And we put all of that into your hands tonight because we know that you're able. We step out tonight on faith and confidence knowing that you're able to work all things for your good and for your glory. We thank you tonight for hearing and answering prayer. We pray, God, tonight that you would intervene, that you would move on behalf of all of these things. In Jesus' name, thank the Lord. Let's give the Lord some praise tonight, shall we? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. You may be seated. Um, I did not include this in our prayer list, but um, I need for all of you that are here tonight. I love our, our Wednesday night crowd. Appreciate y'all being here every Wednesday night so very much. But um, God spoke to me today, actually during lunch, and uh, has given me a message about family. And uh, there's something very special that I would like to do with that in the next couple of Sundays. And uh, if you would help me pray about that, I would deeply appreciate it. Please help us pray about that. Um, also, if you'll listen very carefully, everybody listen. Everybody say, I'm listening. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Okay. I'm going to teach tonight, <clears throat> again, on out of the Ten Commandments. And uh, tonight I'm going to teach on the commandment that says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Need for everybody to listen. Especially if you're watching on live stream, you need to listen. We have a couple of things coming up in the next couple of Wednesday nights. One is uh, Sister Murph and I and a number of others will be in Branson for our national quiz tournament. Pray for our, our kids that they do good, our coaches that they do good. And uh, please pray about that. But we'll be there next Wednesday, this coming Sunday and next Wednesday night is where Sister Murph and I will be along with some others from Grace Church. And uh, the following Wednesday night after that, we'll have be hosting a missionary that I'm very excited about. So it will be the Wednesday night after that that I'll teach the second part of this Bible study. On that night, everybody say that night. I believe that is going to be um, August the 4th. Boy, that sounds like a long ways away, but it'll be here before you know it. On August the 4th, we will have kids' church for that night only, at this point, for that night only, for all of our kids, I guess, 11 and under. Uh, because to wrap this Bible study up, uh, I would really appreciate our children being somewhere else. You'll understand when I teach it. And uh, it'll save you from answering a whole lot of questions when you get home. Thank you, Pastor Murphy. You're welcome. Very glad to accommodate that. Absolutely. So remember that announcement. And... Uh, I do want to make a, a several disclaimers, and I'm, this is, I'm very passionate about this study, but I also want to be very considerate. If there's anyone here tonight that has fallen into this horrible, horrible trap, I'm going to ask you to put your past under the blood. If God has forgiven you, that's all that's required. Everybody said amen. Aren't you thankful for that? Um, so I'm going to ask you to do that if you have a spouse 
that has fallen into this. I want you to know I'm going to teach the Bible tonight, but I have no particular person in mind, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm picking on a situation that I may have knowledge of. Um, I try my best to refrain from using the word sex in the pulpit unless I'm talking about gender. Um, I will choose to use a more appropriate word in my opinion and I'll use the word intimate or intimacy. And I'm doing that to respect our parents and children in here and what have you. So I want everybody to understand that. Again, uh, if there's something about this that bothers you or concerns you, please see me. Don't go to somebody else. Don't go to your buddy across the aisle. They're not going to be able to explain it from my point of view. So uh, if you need some words afterwards, when we're done with this, please don't hesitate to call me. Don't text me. Uh, at least call me or talk to me in person. I would appreciate it very much. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. Very cut and dried, very simple, and very to the point. Thou shalt not commit adultery. <clears throat> There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that one, is there? It's very, very clear. I want to teach tonight, I want to title this, Thou Shalt Protect Your Marriage, is what I would like to title this tonight. If you were driving on a busy highway, and saw an off-ramp sign that said, do not enter. Y'all follow me? You're going down the road, you, want, you think you might want to pull off, but there's a sign on that ramp that says, do not enter. Would you resent it or appreciate it? That sign is there to keep you from danger. It is a negative command with a positive result. Does everybody understand that? That's the way it is with the, all of the Ten Commandments. They may seem to a lot of people to be negative commands. The catch word that's being used in church culture right now that nobody wants is rules. I've had more people come and say, I don't want to go to a church where there's all those rules. Well, what kind of church do you want to go to where there's none? Is my question, and I have asked that. As a matter of fact, there are some churches that I'll, I, I know of tonight that I wonder what rules they have. Uh, thou shalt not kill, is that something that's a part of your rule book at your church? Uh, thou shalt not steal, I mean, if we don't want any rules, let's all get together and do a bank heist. I mean, if you're going to sin, let's do it upright and get a lot of money out of it or something, right? I'm being facetious, as I hope you know. But the Ten Commandments may be considered to be very negative commands, but when they're obeyed, the result is very positive. And everybody said amen. The Ten Commandments are not given to produce pain. They're not given to produce pain, but to provide protection. And when you play by God's rules, you always win in the end. You always do. Everybody listen to pastor. Even if you're married here tonight or if you would like to be married at some point in your life here tonight. Nothing destroys a family faster than adultery. 
There is no question tonight that our culture here in America glamorizes, defends, and even promotes adultery. A writer in New York Times Magazine said, women's magazines practically recommend adultery to their readers as a fun and healthy activity. Elle Magazine, these are all women's magazines, they said, an affair can be a sexual recharging, an escape from a worn-out relationship, and a way into something better. Harper's Bazaar made a bizarre statement. Women's marriages are improved by their, their affairs because they get their feel of rapture elsewhere. So while we try to lead a, a decent disciplined life television movies magazines all of that propagate the notion that everybody else is having a wild depraved time and that we're all missing out the true power of mass media has the power to redefine normal and we're actually seeing that take place in our country as we speak the harmful behavior that we see glamorized not only conveys powerful messages of what's accepted, but is really what is expected. The unreal world of the media becomes, over time, a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yes, it does. Every year on primetime TV, there are, there are 65,000 sexual references. Seven out of eight of the sexual encounters in television dramas involved extramarital relations. Some years ago, a university, the University of Chicago study showed that both sexual satisfaction and frequency is greater among married people. But in Hollywood, the only kind of intimacy that seems to be banned is intimacy between husband and wife. So the media has become a seducer. Some of you may remember a number of years ago, I remember when it was in the news, very, very blatant. There was a Hollywood film called Indecent Proposal where a character is offered a million dollars. A married woman is offered one million dollars to spend one night with a billionaire in an adulterous affair. It became the topic of conversation on talk shows and offices and school the film portrayed this couple that the woman was made this offer to was struggling for money anyway and just one night with this guy wouldn't hurt anything and they'd get a million dollars and they could go on to the rest of their life. The film implied that everyone has a price. But I can name at least one married couple in this building that does not. And that is your pastor and his wife. There's not enough money. So due to the increasingly permissive views towards sex today, and I'm hesitant to use that word, but over 40% of married women and nearly 50% of married men have had an extramarital affair. This has a direct effect on our teenagers who are not finding at home an example of marital faithfulness to follow after. So one-fifth, one-fifth 
of North American children have lost their virginity by the age of 13. <clears throat> and these statistics are only slightly lower in the church world. Christianity Today found that 23% of its subscribers have committed the sin of adultery. And at least 45% have acted inappropriately towards someone of the opposite sex. Hollywood's glamorous portrayal of adultery is a blatant lie. Adultery causes pain where everyone loses and everyone is scarred. It, along with suicide, is the supreme act of selfishness. Yes, it is. Adultery not only violates your marriage vows, it violates another person. That would be your spouse. I'd like for you to notice tonight that the English word adultery comes from the same root word as adulterate, which means to contaminate or to make impure. The phrase also means no apostatizing. To apostatize means to abandon one's principles or promises. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, To mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Mortify means to crush. So crush therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, all of that. Concupiscence is sexual desire. One translation said, don't be controlled by your body. Don't be controlled by your body. Kill every desire for the wrong kind of sex, this translation said. Don't be immoral or indecent or have evil thoughts. I have done counseling sessions numerous times pertaining to this. And it's amazing and interesting to me the, how many people attempt to validate adultery with the belief that it is permissible for a higher cause. People have countless rationales for setting aside the moral implications of their actions such as, I love my wife and children and do not want a divorce. So it is better that I have an affair for the sake of my family. I don't want anybody to think, Pastor, why are you teaching this? It's really not applicable. Nobody knows what tomorrow holds. And to him that thinks he stands, take heed. People say my husband, wife, whichever is applicable, is not fulfilling me. So it's okay to find satisfaction elsewhere instead of divorcing my husband or wife, whatever it may be. Sometimes lady folks say that I, I, think my, I think my husband is being unfaithful, so there's nothing wrong with me being unfaithful. Somebody said, I wasn't looking for an affair. It just happened. Somebody said about them and their adulterous mate, they said, we're soulmates. We're soulmates. This makes it okay, right? That's what these folks believe. People say, I have needs that my spouse can't fulfill. They say, I thought I was in love when I married but this, the affair, this is really the real thing. Um, the big one that's used often is I've been under a lot of stress. And I get a lot of stress relief with an affair. 
uh, he or she, the other person, really understands me. And I know of one case, and I sat in on one counseling session with it, and I'll rehearse that story in a moment, but they used this sin as an act of revenge. We preached a sermon years ago in Ohio one Sunday morning. I got to church. It was about 5, 36 o'clock that Sunday morning. The pastor was so kind to let me use his office. Went in his office, started praying, and God just put this, the story of Achan stealing the Babylonian garment, and the wedges of gold and silver and all of that from Jericho, put that on my heart, and, and I fought with it. I remember it like it was yesterday. I can describe the office. It was small, and uh, but well-decorated, very comfortable. And uh, I just said, okay, I'll, I'll go with it. And I jotted a few notes and preached that Sunday morning. Sins of the heart was what I preached. And when I got through with it, called for the musicians, which included the pastor's wife, played the organ. A woman ran to the altar and began to sob and cry and sob and cry uncontrollable to the point they folks prayed with her and prayed with her. I mean, she was just gut-wrenching, heaving in sobs. And finally, the pastor interrupted her and talked to her for a little while, and she kind of got herself back together. They went home, came back to church that night, and when the first song started, she ran down to the front again and started that all over again and prayed and prayed and prayed. And uh, finally, the pastor's wife was on the organ as a reason I was in the session. And uh, so he got her attention, stopped her from praying, took her to his office and asked me to come as a witness. Just didn't want to be alone with a, another woman in his office. I totally understand. And ask her, what is wrong? They've been coming to that church for a while. She was one of his Sunday school teachers. They were faithful. They were at everything. Uh, they had three kids. <clears throat> but one of those kids, the oldest one, did not look like anybody on either side of the family. We found out later that this boy was about 14 years old at the time and he was teased at every family event because he didn't look like anybody. His skin color, everything, hair color, eye color, everything was totally different. This went on for, for these years. The boy was, again, about 13, 14 years old. And um, the woman finally said what happened. Her and her husband got up one morning. He got dressed to go to work. She was a stay-at-home mom. And um, they got in a knockdown drag out over something. And right after he left for work, somebody knocked on the door. She looked to see who was at the door. And it just so happened to be a utility worker, worked for the, the city water company. They, he just came to tell her that we're going to be doing some work in your front yard. Don't worry about it. We're going to put everything back. And um, she went to the door very scantily clad, seduced him. And in that one moment, she expected this, this boy, and he was born. And this had happened 13, 14 years ago when I preached that sermon. She repented with all of her heart. Her husband had no clue, no clue whatsoever. She never told a soul, no one. But her conscience finally caught up with her that day. And uh, she finally, I saw the pastor about six months later at the Ohio uh, campground. And I said, I don't mean to be nosy, and if you don't want to talk about it, I totally understand. But how's this family doing? He said, he said, Brother Murphy, you would be amazed. He said, her husband has totally forgiven her, and to him, that's been his child all of his life. She, he didn't know any different. And um, they're doing amazing. Not, she's not quite ready to get back in leadership and stuff, but they're, they're faithful every service, and they're 
their healing and rehabilitation and all that has been really, really amazing. Using adultery as an act of revenge has a lifelong price tag attached to it. But no matter what you say, no matter what the excuses and rationale is, adultery is a sin. And it will eventually catch up with you and destroy your life, your home, but most of all, it is a sin that will take your soul straight to hell. Yes, it will. So tonight, for a little while, I want to talk about this crucial topic and how to prevent it, how to prevent affairs and to protect your marriage. The Bible said that marriage is honorable in all, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. So let's talk for a little while tonight on how to affair-proof your marriage. Now, I'm going to use some very generic terms that we throw around in our church culture all the time, but tonight they're going to be a little bit deeper and a little more meaningful. Y'all with me so far? Number one, to affair-proof your marriage, you make a commitment. Some people are shocked to learn that God is actually pro-intimacy. He's pro-relationship between a married man and a married woman, married to each other, of course. After all, he is the one that created it. But like everything else, if God can create something amazing, man can distort it in some kind of way. Yes, he can. All of God's gifts to us have limitations on them. All of God's gifts given to us must be controlled rather than abused. I'll give you an example tonight of what I'm talking about. One of God's most gracious gifts to us is water. Y'all agree with that? If you don't, then hear me out for a moment. You can't live without water. Everybody know that? You can't live without water. But on the other hand, too much of it will drown you. Does that make sense to everybody tonight? Fire can either warm you or burn you. It just depends on how you handle it. So God gave us a world filled with beauty, but in many cases man has stripped nature's resources. God gave us an appetite for food, but in many cases people have abused it and suffered dietary problems as a result. And God gave us an appetite for intimacy, but in many cases man has perverted it by ignoring the parameters that God has set, properly controlled and expressed within a marriage, intimacy is a wonderful thing. But outside of marriage, it is destructive and detrimental to your spiritual, emotional, and even physical health. I want all of our young folks that are old enough to understand this to absolutely listen. Virginity is getting harder and harder to find. In our sex-saturated society, you don't stand much of a chance of remaining pure unless you make a commitment to live by God's guidelines regarding sex or intimacy. Regardless of your failures in the past, you need to make a commitment to live by God's standards beginning today. 
And I, I believe with all of my heart in the grace and mercy of God, and there's no time like the present to start doing the right thing. There's no time like the present. We used to show a video to our young people, and most of them would leave after that video, after they watched it, they would leave very disgusted and angry. I guess they took the wrong implication of it. I, I, don't, I don't know what the problem was. I was just trying to help them. One time we showed it to the parents of our young people, and they were really furious. The story is it's a, a woman that at that time, I don't know what she's doing of late, but at that time she was traveling literally around the world to junior high and high schools around the world teaching abstinence. She was a child of a rape victim. She has no clue who her daddy is. The mother had no clue who the man was. And she took that and developed an incredibly amazing, inspirational presentation on encouraging young people to keep themselves pure until they were married. She walked out of her sessions one night, and I've never forgotten this. It just has really inspired me through the years since we watched that. And... Um, when she was walking out to her car, she heard a, a young man's voice behind her, called her by name, and said, I need some help. When she turned around, she looked, and when she looked at him, she was looking kind of right, maybe right in his chest area, and then just kind of went up. And come to find out, he was their main basketball star on the basketball team of that high school. He was known by everybody, adored by everybody, but he wanted to keep himself pure for marriage. And so he was razzed and teased and made fun of, as you can imagine, in our culture. He said, could you give me an answer to tell these people who are constantly telling me that I need to lose my virginity with somebody and just get it over with and just join the rest of us? I need an answer for that. She said, I have one. She said, the next time somebody teases you about this, this is what I want you to say. You tell them. And one night, I can become like you. But you could live the rest of your life and never become like me. What a great point. I'd like for all of our young folks to remember that. The Bible teaches that intimacy is for marriage only. Ah, this is so old-fashioned. <laughs> In our culture today, this is amazing. But it's Bible. And the Bible is never not relevant. Intimacy is made for marriage only, not outside of marriage, and not before marriage. So if you're not already married, you need to decide right now that you will, you'll only marry another Christian person. That's God's standard for you. The Bible said, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? The psalmist said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto, according to thy word. So if you are married, you need to decide right now that this sin will never be an option for you for any reason, ever. Everybody say ever. That wasn't everybody, but I'll take it. It doesn't matter what your spouse does, what needs they don't meet, or what happens in your marriage? Being faithful is God's command. Being faithful in marriage is not determined by the conduct of your spouse. It's determined by the word of God. 
The wise man said in Proverbs 5.15, Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. One translation said, Be faithful to your own wife and give your love to her alone. It's commitment. Everybody say commitment. No matter what, it's got to be commitment. No matter what happens in your marriage, you've got to stay committed. I'm, I'm teaching tonight as delicately as I can, but I don't want to be misunderstood at the same time. So not only do you make a commitment, number two, you magnify the consequences. In your mind, you magnify the consequences. If you do this, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to your spouse? And what is going to happen to your children? You need to regularly remind yourself of the devastation and destruction that is caused by this sin. This sin leaves permanent scars. And you may be in a difficult marriage right now that is not satisfying. You're struggling and perhaps even looking around. Remember that no matter how high the cost of restoring and maintaining your marriage, the cost of adultery is always higher. I have talked to people that can afford the affair. They can afford the private dinners, the motel rooms, all of that. But they can't afford counseling to save their marriage. It's amazing to me how you spend your money where you want to spend it. In magnifying the consequences, here are six good reasons not to do and commit this sin. Number one, you do incredible damage to your spouse. The Bible says what? Know ye not that, that he which is joined to an harlot is one body. For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. One translation said, and don't you know that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say the two are united into one, and it doesn't have to be a harlot. When you do have commit this sin with anybody, you become one flesh with that person, and it leaves something in your mind and spirit that you never get away from the rest of your life. I believe tonight the most incredible damage it does to your spouse if you choose to reconcile is when your spouse walks out the door or when you walk out the door, your spouse will always question where are you going and who are you going to be with. You never get past it. I've talked to too many people. You never get past it. The second thing you do uh, when you want to realize the consequences is you do incredible damage to yourself. The wise man said, but whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding. He that doeth it destroys his own soul. You do incredible damage to your children. The Bible said in Exodus 34 and 7, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the, upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generation. One translation said, even so I do not leave sin unpunished, but I punish the children for the sins of their parents to the third and fourth generation. The next thing you do when that happens is you do incredible damage to the church. The Bible said, know you not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Don't you realize that even one person who is allowed to go on sinning soon all will be affected. The next thing you do is you do incredible damage to your witness. Nathan said to David after his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, he said, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And he did. The next thing you do is you sin against the Lord. Joseph said, 
to Potiphar's wife, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He didn't say, how can I sin against my mom and dad and how can I sin against my brothers and sisters? He didn't say that. He said he took it as a personal affront to God had he taken her up on her offer to seduce him into an adulterous affair. So I want to submit to all of us here tonight, if you, if you know somebody, even if you're married to somebody, whatever the case may be, it's fallen into this terrible, terrible sin. I want us to be careful and not too quick to judge. I believe God can forgive. You remember the woman at the well? Does anybody remember that story? When Jesus told her everything about her. You've been married five times and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. He essentially told her to go and sin no more. And it goes on and on with the woman caught in the act of adultery. When Jesus wrote in the sand, we all know the story. He raised his head when all the accusers had fled. He said, where are thine accusers? And she said, I have none. And he said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So I want everybody to understand here tonight. This sin is very prevalent in our culture. And you never know when someone walks through the church door what they might be dealing with and fighting and going through. I want us to be very slow to judge and very quick to administer grace and mercy. Everybody here at Grace Church needs to understand that. We need to do that with everybody. God didn't die and make you judge of nothing. And if you want to clean up anybody's life, go look in the mirror for a little while. I'm sure you'll find something. Let God work. Let God prevail. Let the presence of the Lord work with these people. The, the, woman, the people that took the woman and caught the woman in the act of adultery, it's amazing they knew nothing with the husband or the man that was cheating in this. It was just the woman. But, buddy, they had no idea just how right they were being and dragging her to Jesus. They had no idea how brilliant that was. That wasn't their plan. They wanted him to judge her and to scorn her and to agree with them. This is what the law of Moses said. This woman has done it, so what do you say? Love to know what he wrote in the sand that day. Everybody would. But whatever it was was condemning enough. He that was without sin, let him be the first to cast a stone. It did, it did what it needed to do. And we, we need to embrace that ideology when anyone comes to Grace Church after living in any degree of sin for any reason. So if you have someone in your family, even maybe your spouse, somebody, that may be caught up in this grievous, grievous sin or maybe has been in the, in, in the past. I've done enough counseling with it in the past to understand that it can be forgiven. It can be forgiven, but it cannot be forgotten. It just can't. And there's something about human nature. Again, every time they walk out the door, the spouse wonders where they're going. Are they going where they told me they're going and so on? But with God's help, with God's help, even after this is sin is done and committed, God can restore the family. Decent kids, good kids, has come out of this kind of a, a situation at home.
because mom and dad did the right thing. They turned all of their emotions towards God and worked long and hard. And it takes months, weeks, sometimes years to rebuild some element of trust. But it can be done. It takes a lot of work, but it can be done. But I believe when you put it in the hands of God, God can speed that up. God can work it out. And I want everyone here to know tonight that the pastor is more than willing to work with people to do whatever we can to restore homes, to restore families. God knows we need it. It doesn't need to be badgered more and judged more and torn apart more and criticized more and condemned more. But it needs loving arms that will reach around and grab a hold of that family, that mom, that dad, that husband, that wife. And say, welcome to the presence of God. Welcome to the presence of God. So I want to ask everybody to remember what is taught here tonight. So I'm going to stop right here tonight because the rest of this is uh, it, it's, it's going to be challenging. It's going to be challenging me for me to teach it. I'm not claim to be good at this kind of stuff uh, especially in a public setting like this but uh, I want to save the rest of it till the first Wednesday in, 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 in August and uh, we'll go through more of it at that time I would challenge you tonight you, you'd have to be discreet and, and, and well intentioned and what have you but if you know somebody that you think this could minister to encourage them to come if they don't want to come maybe they could watch it on live stream but regardless of what's happened between husband and wife, all of our young people here tonight that are still pure, you may have friends that's fallen into premarital sexual relationship and what have you. But remember what I said. That in one night you can become like them, but they'll spend the rest of their life living and never become like you. You maintain your purity no matter what it takes. You maintain it. You maintain it. It's worth it. It's worth it. I've read in times past, marital, successful marriage statistics are in your favor. Those that go into marriage pure, both male and female goes into marriage pure, the chances of your marriage lasting are huge over people who go into marriage that's already committed uh, fornication and what have you. So you're better off. I know it's, it can be challenging. It can be hard. Hormones are going crazy. And you won't, 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 won't. And, but if you, can, if you can master your own body, the Bible said, and wait. Just wait. Your time will come. And uh, you'll be able to appreciate and value that relationship a whole lot more, knowing that you've gone into it pure. One more statistic, and I'll, I'll close. I'll address our young people again that are in here that are not married. It's interesting that it seems like sometimes boys struggle with this more than girls. They, they want that experience more. But it's interesting when a young man kind of grows up and matures a little bit and starts looking at marriage, guess who he, what he looks for to marry? He wants to marry a virgin. Well, if you want that to happen, you need to contribute to the cause. stay pure and you may not marry that girl but somebody else might appreciate the fact that you let her remain a virgin that's what the statistics say that the majority of boys looking for a girl to marry they want one that's a virgin there's a lot of implication of that that I won't go into right now but 
Um, maybe our parents can help when you get home. I, I hope I've kind of raised some questions that maybe your, your kids will ask you when you get home, what was he talking about? Uh, you know the relationship you have with your kids and what their knowledge and maturity can bear. I'll ask you to be very careful, but don't hold back. Somebody needs to step up and stand against the media and all this stuff going on in our culture and say, no, this isn't right. Somebody needs to do that. And more than pastor, in my opinion, it needs to be the parents. That's your job more than mine. But I'll do it anyway. Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight. Thank you for your time, for your attention. Uh, I do want to say, and I did not say tonight, I'm so thankful for the service Sunday. Um, I did not finish my message, but uh, a number of folks have reached out to me that I, I deeply, deeply appreciate. Um, it, it, it means a lot to me when I get that kind of feedback, especially over what I consider to be such a challenging uh, and very passionate message. So thank you all for that. And maybe at some point in the future, God will allow us to finish it maybe incorporate it into another sermon and then finish it up. We'll, we'll see. We'll pray about it. But I believe God wants to do some great things in all of our homes and all of our families, but we have to be willing to let God work. And the greatest resource God can use is obedience. If we'll obey his word, if we'll obey the will of God, the purpose of God in our homes, things get exponentially better. They do. And uh, God sustains you through so many things. So God bless you tonight. If you would, greet uh, Brother Eddie and Sister Paula, we're glad to have them. God bless you tonight. You're prayerfully dismissed in Jesus' name, and uh, we covet your prayers. <clears throat>